Hello and welcome to Who Is She? A Bechdel Test Fest podcast. For each episode, my Bechdel partners in crime and I come together to spotlight a pioneering woman in film who we think should be on your radar. I'm your host, Beth Webb, film journalist and broadcaster and co-runner of the Bechdel Test Fest. And I'm joined by our founder, critic and broadcaster, Karina Antrobus. Hiya. Steph Watts, film journalist, podcaster and our lead creative. Hi. And Caitlin Quinlan, journalist, critic and our editorial head. Hello. Our subject today is Kathy Yan, a director who, in her short filmmaking career, has made extraordinary strides. Whether it's her indie debut Dead Pigs, to helming the second female-fronted DC blockbuster Birds of Prey, to her upcoming A24 adaptation of Jenny Zhang's Sour Heart, or dystopian sci-fi The Freshening, Kathy's flair for world-building and her palpable passion for characters make her, for us, a woman to watch. So I'll start our discussion with our go-to top-line question, and for this episode, I'm coming to Steph. So Steph, Kathy Yan, who is she? Yeah, so Kathy Yan is a Chinese-American director, producer, screenwriter, journalist. Uh, she wrote for the Los Angeles Times, the Wall Street Journal, and that kind of informed her writing of Dead Pigs, uh, which is partly based on a news story. She spent quite a lot of her childhood and kind of school years going between China and the US. And then after kind of releasing Dead Pigs, obviously went on to direct Birds of Prey and now is kind of going on to these other amazing sounding films that you mentioned just now. Thanks for that, Steph. For this episode, I had the pleasure of catching up with Kathy. We spoke about her approach to her craft, what it feels like to be misidentified multiple times on your own film set, and the film that started it all, Dead Pigs. Dead Pigs is a Shanghai-based satire that follows a melange of characters struggling to find their place in their rapidly modernising city. Enjoy the interview and we'll see you on the other side. First of all, congratulations on the film. I'm so pleased we get to see it on a global level. It's based on this big headline-grabbing story. Why did you feel that satire was the best way to tell the story? Yeah, I I think that's just what I'm drawn to. I think that even in our darkest moments, we there's also comedy and there's light and there sort of has to be. And that's the sort of tone that I've always liked and um, I appreciate. So I think when I saw that, it's been it's such a ridiculous thing to have happened as well that it, it felt right. And I think that, you know, in China, there's just a lot of these sorts of events that where you don't quite know whether you should laugh about it or cry about it. And I think it's in that sort of uncomfortable place that um, I find the most interesting. I love the level of detail that's assigned to each of the characters. And I was wondering if that was an extension of your background in journalism. Yeah, and I think that a lot of it just pulls from my own life as well. Um, You know, I think that absolutely uh, uh, Candy, uh, played by Vivian Wu, she is somewhat inspired by this real person who went back when I was actually in university, I had wrote, written a thesis about one of the first uh, nail houses in China, which are what her house is, um, right? When it's marooned in this big construction site and they don't want to leave. And it was um, this couple at the time um, that had this house in Chongqing. 
And this woman just had this like incredible personality and knew how to work with the media and sort of became a little bit of a phenomenon. And so Candy was a little bit inspired from her or by her. And a lot of the characters are inspired by or, or pulled from my own life, whether it's family members or friends or, you know, I think Sean in a way, even though um, I look nothing like Sean, but his experience coming to China um, as a foreigner um, is something that I also can relate to, even though I'm Chinese, because I spent a lot of time back in China uh, much later in my life uh, all as an expat. And that kind of lifestyle that he leads and this um, sort of fascination with it as a um, as a foreign place is also something I can relate to as well. So um, a lot of these characters are very much drawn from uh, my own life. Mm. It feels very personal in the writing, certainly. Um, and the world is extraordinary. It obviously draws on location quite a lot but did you have any points of reference in terms of the visual look of the film a lot of it was the was the location itself um i'm a huge fan of paul thomas anderson and we also felt like some of the way that the movie looks just you know generally comes out of that and and, and my own aesthetics the color of it is very much inspired by the way that china is they just use a lot of neon colors and it's just you know, instead of tungsten, it'll just be like a crazy, you know, neon blue and pink thing. And it just felt right for the world as a way to heighten um, the the world of it without feeling like it was going into a complete sort of fictional territory. It also was important, I think, for us, uh, me and my DP, uh, Federico Cesca, who's incredible, that we kind of gave it a sense of scope and scale and uh, almost like majesty and not shoot it in that sort of like intimate, you know, handheld sort of like first feature indie way, but much more um, like it was a nod to also a lot of the traditional um, films that like, Chinese films, both um, sort of like of the early Zhang Yimou um, era, Chen Kai-ge, like Farewell My Concubine, but also like Edward Yang in Taiwan, and just that kind of classic dolly movements and classic setups and, and um, widescreen we shot in anamorphic. And I think it, it, it gave it a sort of sense of scope and scale and, um, and, and made it feel a little bit more um, um, grand, I guess, um, in the way that we shot it too. And that was definitely... Uh, uh, deliberate that was that was something that I had we had discussed extensively as well amazing I love Edward Yang it must feel like a lifetime ago but could you remember your first day on set and how you were feeling it was a lifetime ago that was about four <laughs> years ago I do it was so nerve-wracking because and I've said this before but directing is almost like you don't get a lot of opportunities to direct um, so you you know you can practice it but you're not really practicing it until you're really on set and you have all the pressures of being on set and, and the sort of money and costs associated with that. And so it's almost like being an astronaut or something in the sense that like you just don't really get, you know, you don't really get that many opportunities to really do the whole thing. And so that was definitely very nerve wracking. It was my first feature. It was also um, significantly like larger than anything I'd done before. Um, but at the same time, you know, I went to film school and I'd done a lot of shorts and you sort of just breathe in and put one foot in front of the other and realize that like you actually do know how to do this. So um, it was definitely nerve wracking, but I definitely I remember it. I remember it distinctly. We, the first shot um, that we shot for the film was Shasha on the balcony um, at the end of the at the end of the movie. That's a big scene for a first day. <laughs> I'd like to talk to you about music. 
it feels like it's interwoven into the pigs at certain significant points. It's certainly prominent in Birds of Prey. How does music play a part in your craft? I think it's just one of the many fun tools of the toolbox. Um, you know, I think directing is very much like you get to sort of control um, and immerse your audience in the audio and the visual and um, and it's all of it. And I've always loved music and I always feel like there's a real sort of emotional punch to music. And I think with Dead Pigs, the idea was we knew that there's a, ma- there's a very important song in the film and, and that was by design very, very early on. And so the idea was like, how do we, um, and it's actually sampled and used throughout the movie in different mm. ways. Like there's a sort of like weird disco remix of it and a cover of it and there's the original. And, and so every character pretty much gets to interact with that song before um, the ending and that was by design. And so from that, it was like, okay, well, there's there's a sort of pop sensibility to, um, to that song and, and to the use of the song throughout the film. And it just felt right that our score would also kind of feel almost like a song as well, um, so that you don't have this like very different dissonant sound um, for the rest of the movie. And that's kind of how we came up with this idea of the score that Andrew um, Orca and my composer did that I, I just love that is sort of more melodic in many ways, I think, than, than some other scores out there. You can sort of hum along with it, right? Um, And then on Birds, like the idea very early on was working with Atlantic Records to come up with an amazing, most like badass female driven album that we could and to and to drop that in because again, it was a very sort of poppy youthful world that we were in and there was a lot of use of songs and again, it just made sense Um, and with Daniel Pemberton, a composer on Birds of Prey, who's also incredibly talented to sort of integrate that uh, pop song sensibility into the score as well. So it just so happened that both of my <laughs> movies had that. But I like that. I think that, I think that you know, every element that you drop into a film should be deliberate and should have a point of view. And, and that's how I like to use music. How does it play in your personal space? How does it, do you listen to certain things when you're working? Do you have certain artists who speak to you when you're putting yourself in a certain creative space absolutely I always think of the soundscape I, I always put together playlists and songs for each character that um like on on dead pigs I would actually I shared the I shared each playlist with the with the actors for each character I would often play it on set and they would have different you know Shasha's really into hip-hop so I have a very different playlist for her as opposed to you know Wong and Candy for example and on Birds of Prey we did a very similar thing I had a playlist for each of the characters and then when we did um when we did camera tests for that I actually played all the music and that um that was integrated into, um, I think, a cut version of the camera test that w- was released to the public as well with a moderate song. And so, yeah, I've all, the music is very, very integrated into the way that I sort of develop the characters in the world very early on. Um, and so it's really fun to see how that plays out. You've had these two projects who are operating on very different gears. Your next project is, is Jenny Zhang's beautiful book, uh, Sour Hearts. What is driving you as a filmmaker at the moment? Yeah, great question. For me, it's not at all the size of something. Um, I've definitely seen both. Both um, I've run the gamut on size, certainly. And I think it's more just what the story is and what is interesting to me. I think as an artist, I'm growing too, personally. And so there, there are um, 
ideas and stories and themes um, and characters that I'm interested in in different parts of my life. And it, what's weird about Dead Pigs in a way is that I it's finally coming out to the world. I made it four years ago. In many ways, I am a different filmmaker than I was, you know, um, mm. initially. But but it is so deeply personal, and I think still very prescient um, in in this world. Um, but generally, I like to you know I I, I think of my work as sort of this. Um, there's therapy in a way too, where I'm just constantly reacting to the world. So whatever feels right in the moment and then whatever platform or like format for it, um, that, that feels right. Because right now we're also developing other features and, and television shows and, and it really isn't about, um, I want to make a big budget movie or I want to make a TV show. It's much more like I'm drawn to this character, I'm drawn to these stories and what is the most interesting way to tell that story that fits um, the formats that we have at our disposal. Thank you. In an early interview, you mentioned instances where you have been misidentified on your own film sets. What would you say to someone who finds themselves in that position? You know, it's it's easy to take offense to it, but you also realize that we are we are dealing with you know centuries and decades of um, a certain way of thinking about certain people, and that doesn't just immediately go away, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they meant to offend right but more like i think it's been it's it's only such a recent development that women are even seen in in this directorial role and something that when i was growing up i really had very few references for Mm -hmm. um so i think it's more about the systems in place and the institution and why we you know we sort of assume these positions um for certain people um and, and unpacking that for ourselves and that we're all prone to sort of making these rash um, judgments upon people and, and what we can all be doing to change that and change that from an institutional perspective as opposed to just shaming someone because they made an innocent mistake. Thank you, that's a wonderful answer. And finally, a question that we ask all our podcast guests. Who is a woman working in film right now that really excites you? Mm, really good questions. Um, so many. I mean, I love like Lynn Ramsey. I love Andrea Arnold. I love, you know, going for the dark, <laughs> I tend to go for the darker <laughs> ones. Um, I think they're all super, super interesting. Um, I would love to see them do like, I don't know if they would, but like, you know, slightly bigger things too. I, I, I always like, because I've had that experience of, I, I very much see myself as an indie filmmaker and, um, Birds of Prey was this almost like tangential thing that I did because I was just very fascinated by the story. But I now that I've gone through that, I'm just very curious to see, you know, continue to see how um, such distinct visions um, and filmmakers, what what they would do with like a bigger scale and a bigger scope, and and how that they could continue to change and um, influence the sort the more mainstream. Um, cinema that we have because I think that's deeply important I mean mainstream cinema has to continue continue to evolve as well and um, the best way to do that of course is to just you know draw in some of the more um, unique voices in in, in filmmaking and I think that barrier between the two um, is going away and 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 should be and so I think a a lot of these female filmmakers and in general female Josephine Decker is another really interesting Mm. female filmmaker um more of them should be if they're interested or willing should be willing to should want to or I would want to see them um take on these larger projects as well I think it'll be so interesting to see what like a Lynn Ramsey you know Gotham would look like
That was Kathy Yan speaking with us about her career to date. Now, Karina, Kathy had only made them pigs ahead of coming on board for Birds of Prey. Like that's a, a huge project for any filmmaker. Do you think that her trajectory is a sign that the industry is changing? I'd like to think so. You know, let's have this conversation in 10, 20 years when hopefully we're still knocking around. But um, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I like to stay positive and I'd like to think so. I mean, it is a, in addition to some of the other good news that we've had, such as, you know, Chloe Zhao, um, an incredible, incredible filmmaker who's just gone from, you know, a tiny, beautiful film called The Rider to Nomadland, which is just an epic, beautiful, wonderful film, um, to The Eternals, which I am very interested to see what she does with. Um, but yeah, there are some other small time, I, I, you know, I don't hate calling them small time, but indie filmmakers that are going on to do some really big budget stuff. But if you think about it, it's not like for, for a Marvel franchise, for instance, or any kind of big blockbuster franchise, the stakes are kind of low because the movie is bigger than the director. And if you think about it, they can take they can actually make some cost saving exercises here by going with a more independent film director whilst giving them an opportunity to make their mark which i think is an interesting thing to think about when you're looking at why these decisions are made um but i do think that some of the most visionary voices and and auteurs are in the independent film world and to take that talent and put it into such a big massive world such as you know the blockbuster universe is um kind of makes sense all round, you know? I mean, other examples, we've got Ryan Coogler, um, we've got Gina Prince-Bythewood last year directed the, she, well, she became the first black female director to do a big budget blockbuster with The Old Guard. In fact, Black Panther was going to be Ava DuVernay, but she turned it down for Ryan Coogler. So, you know, there are glimpses of smaller indie directors making it big, but I think there's a bigger conversation to be had about what that actually means for the industry. But I mean, it also talks about the fact that there's no middle ground. You've got small indie films, big blockbuster, but where is the middle ground in our industry? You know, I don't know if it's there anymore and why, why does it have to be such a big, massive leap? I think there's also kind of an argument to be made for like, if Barry Jenkins doing Lion King 2 means that he has, you know, the funds to make another Moonlight, I'm kind of willing to make that sacrifice and sort of hand him over to the other side almost to then be able to bring him back, you know, to this kind of indie filmmaker world. So, yeah, and I think it's interesting when you look at kind of how actors have done it in the past as well. You know, someone who comes to mind is is someone like Michelle Williams, who's been kind of the stalwart feature of Kelly Reichardt's films for, for years. But every time she kind of goes off and does a bigger budget film, you always think, okay, well, that money's now going to go into Kelly Reichardt's next project. And it's almost like a necessary, not, I don't want to say necessary evil to, you know, bash Marvel movies entirely, but there is an element of that, you know, that it's like, you know, rightly or wrongly powering an element of the industry that we do want to, to stay alive. So, so yeah, there's, there's a kind of interesting benefit in that in that way I think amazing yeah no definitely and Caitlin how would you describe Kathy's filmmaking to someone totally unfamiliar with her work and why is it that you find her filmmaking exciting yeah I was actually quite surprised when I watched Dead Pigs because I think when you hear sort of you know Sundance indie debut you have a very specific style of filmmaking in mind you know from that um, description but it was completely different to that it's a very kind of slick 
punchy, you know, this real kind of big visual explosion in in that film. A lot of smooth camera work, these kind of moving dolly shots and things that you you don't really expect in, as I say, like these sort of Sundance indies. But yeah, you can definitely see how a film like that then led her on to Birds of Prey, which takes the kind of the colours and the music and the the satirical elements of dead pigs and really kind of goes to town with them in that sort of superhero comic book context. It's a very punchy film. The use of kind of confetti cannons and glitter and just, yeah, just the sheer sort of like liveliness and enjoyment of it, I think is something that you really do see the sort of early threads of in, in dead pigs as well. But also, yeah, this, you know, as she spoke about in the interview, this idea of using satire as a kind of cover for these sort of human focused narratives about family and um, community, loneliness, or wealth and poverty in, in, in China in particular, in, in Dead Pigs, but also, you know, within the kind of female community stories of, of Birds of Prey. And also I think that she has a real commitment to Asian stories as well. And the sort of the recurrence of that in Birds of Prey and the use of, you know, Asian characters where where possible and really bringing in that sense of her you know the films that she knows and loves and the the community that she's she's from so um yeah she definitely does have this real as we've been using the word the term world building i think that's really evident in her work yeah just it's just this juggling of all these different stories because with dead pigs there's a lot going on isn't there but it's doesn't it manages to not feel too overwhelmed even though you've got all these individual stories and there's quite a lot of heart in that as well as well as looking at a society and um, it's interesting talking about it, you know, I, I do think it, there is a, well, I guess this is the critic's job of looking at what it actually means and what it, to, the, to you individually. But I think there is a, um, an assessment of society in China, just in that look of the, the Westerner coming in and trying to infiltrate China because it believes that China is actually the new world dominating force which as we can see in the news is 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 turning out to be quite true and i think it's interesting to see an american in that space observing that and trying to get on top of it yeah i think all the um the kind of comment on like that rapid growth and like gentrification was really interesting it kind of reminded me of lulu wang's the farewell just like i think she addressed it in a slightly kind of less like satirical way like where she had kind of aquafina kind of just looking out of the window at like places like somewhere where her family used to live that's now like enormous high rises and like not kind of the the area that she used to know that's kind of really like hit home in dead pigs where you have the kind of family home surrounded by rubble because they want to build a replica of the sagrada familia and like some huge tower blocks on top of it like i think it's really well done and like a really kind of a really interesting comment on that kind of a growth that westerners are kind of bringing over with them i just love the line there's no ugly women only lazy ones like i want that on a t-shirt but then i just think it would be quite um offensive if taken if read by somebody without a sense of humor (laughs) well that concludes our kathy yan episode of who is she dead pigs is available to stream on mubi now thank you so much for joining us today And the subject of our next episode will be announced on our social media. We'll have that for you in a few weeks' time. Thanks so much for joining me, girls. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Beth. 
Who is she? A Bechdel Test Fest podcast is a Bechdel Test Fest production. It was hosted by myself, Beth Webb, and produced by Steph Watts with additional help from Karina Antropus and Caitlin Quinlan. Our music was written, performed, and produced by Zoe Mead. Check out her band Wildest on all major streaming platforms. Like our podcast, please subscribe and say nice things about us on the Apple Podcast page. <laughs>